just uh, had to make sure I turned that on. Uh, just a couple of quick notes before we get into the word this morning. Number one, uh, in honor of Memorial Day this weekend, our Mor- uh, Memorial Day weekend, uh, I just wanted to recognize those who have given their life in service to this country. We are not ignorant of the fact that our ability to worship together has come at a cost. And uh, so we want to honor and, and praise those who, who have given their lives in service to this country and, and recognize the sacrifice that they made in order for us to have the freedom to worship together uh, here this morning. So if you know somebody who, uh, who like a loved one or a friend who has given their life in service to this country, I also want to say that we're here for you. That if, you are, if you're struggling, if you're hurting, if there's uh, difficulty going on with the situation, then you are, you are heartbroken at the loss. We, we want to be a church that cares for you well and loves you well. So we want to honor and recognize those who have given their lives in service to this country and also be here for those of you who are dealing with the hurt and the loss uh, from that situation. Secondly, uh, on a, a more upbeat note, uh, what we do here in this moment of opening up the word of God is, is incredibly important in the life of our church. What we're doing is growing together into the image of Jesus. We're being shaped and molded and challenged as one body to look more like Jesus. And that's incredibly important. And so we don't want you to have to miss anything. If you have to miss a week for uh, work or any given circumstance, if you have to, we want to make sure that you don't miss out on what God is calling us to be as the church, which is why, to that end, uh, we are now available on Spotify and uh, Google Podcasts, and will soon be available on Apple Podcasts. So you can get the sermons, so you don't have to miss anything. You can, you, it's not a substitute, and it will never be a substitute for your time in community with the body of believers, but we don't want you to be ignorant and miss out on what we are doing together as a body and what God is challenging us to be out of his words. So um, obviously not important for you this morning because you're here, but at some point you may not be. And so we want you to be continue to be plugged in and have access to the sermons uh, beyond just the Sunday morning. So let me pray for us and we'll get into the word. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it does challenge us and shape us and mold us into the image of Jesus. God, I pray this morning we would leave better than when we walked in. God, that we would be better because of our time together this morning, that we would have a closer relationship with you, that we would, we would look more like you, that the words that we say would more accurately reflect who you are. God, be with us this morning in our time in the word. Give us grace where we have fallen short. Give us grace where we don't understand. God, challenge us and motivate us and move us into the image of Jesus. And it's in your precious Holy Son's name that we pray. Amen. Now, my college roommates and I I used to play this really fun game with our fridge called What in the World Is That Smell? And some of you have played it, I can tell. Uh, Most of us grow out of the game. Some of you might be playing it when you go home. Uh, I don't know. It's a really fun game. For those of you who don't know the game, What on Earth Is That Smell?, it's where you scour through your fridge to figure out where that putrid odor is coming from that's causing you to lose your appetite. And uh, so we were playing this really fun game. And it's a little backstory. In College Station, there's a pizza place called Gumby's. And they have incredible pizza rolls, like amazing pizza rolls. I don't know if there are any outside of College Station. I need to find them if they are. 
but incredible pizza rolls. And what's even more incredible as a college student is they had deals on Tuesday nights. Like they were very cheap. And so we took advantage of that frequently. Well, my college roommates and I were playing the, another round of What on Earth Does That Smell? And we were digging through our fridge and we found a box of Gumby's pizza rolls buried in our fridge. And after uh, quickly looking at them, we realized that they were, in fact, the source of the smell. Um, there was no doubt about it. Well, <laughs> we got them on a Tuesday. And it was now uh, another Tuesday, three weeks later. And they looked awful. They smelled terrible. And if I gave you those pizza rolls, you, you know nothing about Gumby's. I gave you those pizza rolls. You would want nothing to do with Gumby's pizza. If I gave you those pizza rolls and said, here you go, this is what Gumby's pizza produces, you'd say, what happened to these? You would want absolutely nothing to do with Gumby's pizza. Even though what Gumby's made was good, over time, something had happened to it. And they had become a gross, putrid, disgusting mess. Well, last week, we talked uh, in Genesis chapter 1 about God's perfect creation. Like his beautiful creation in Genesis chapter 1. And, and the Israelites, as they're hearing this and, and, and learning about a God who only knows how to make good things and a God who made a perfect world, they had to be looking around going, what happened? I, I mean, think about it. The Israelites are wandering through a wilderness, just rescued from slavery. Like they have to be wondering, what happened. That, that world that you talk about in Genesis chapter 1 is not the world that I see. And it's the same question that we have when we read Genesis chapter 1 and we see the, the paradise that God created. And I say a sentence like the fact that God only knows how to make good things. And we look around our world and say, okay, well, what is this then? <laughs> like, what, what happened? There's, there's pain and suffering. There's, there's devastation in our world. And we we wonder what, what happened to that Genesis chapter 1 reality. Well, in Genesis chapter 3, God answers that question. In Genesis chapter 3, we, we move on to the, the next part of the Bible story, the, the true tension and, and, and conflict in the Bible story emerges, and he answers that exact question, what happened? But before we get to Genesis chapter 3, I have to tell you what happened in Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2 is a, a more in-depth look at what happened in Genesis chapter 1. It's just a closer look at what happened on the sixth day of creation. And what we see in Genesis chapter 2 is the same thing we see in Genesis chapter 1, that God made a perfect world. And, and in that perfect world, God created man. And he created man to rule over his creation. And in Genesis chapter 1, it kind of glosses over it. It says he created male and female in his image uh, to, to rule over the world, to glorify him. Kind of glosses over that, that male and female creation. And so Genesis chapter 2 dives into that a little bit more. God makes man out of the dust. He breathes into his nostrils the breath of life. The man becomes a living being. And, and God sets him over creation. He brings animals to him. He, he is ruling over God's created order as God had intended him to do. But God looks at man and decides that he shouldn't be alone. He looks at man and decides that he needs somebody with him. He needs a woman. So he created, out of man, he created woman. He took a rib from Adam, and he made him a wife, a, a helper, a companion, a, a co-ruler with him. Now, this is usually where a preacher will throw in, like, a canned joke about how man really needed woman, you know, uh, how men really need wives. Like, 
uh, we usually will throw, you've probably heard it before, we'll throw in some, some canned joke here, but I think our joking misses the beauty of what actually happened, that God uh, chose to give man a companion. That he looked at his ruler that he created and decided that he didn't want them to rule alone. Like, Adam wasn't a bumbling idiot that needed a woman to keep him in line. <laughs> he was perfect. And God looked at him and said, it's not good that you're alone. I don't want you to have to rule by yourself, so I'm going to give you a companion, a co-ruler, a, a helper in Genesis chapter 2. So God creates man, and then God creates woman. And, but there's an order in creation that we saw a little bit in Genesis chapter 1 and see even closer in Genesis chapter 2. God created man to rule over creation, and he created woman out of man. And so men are supposed to lead their families, lead their wives well. That was God's created order in Genesis chapter 2. And God gave Adam a rule. So God placed Adam and Eve into the Garden of Eden, this beautiful paradise. And he put two trees there, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what that tells us is that Adam and Eve were glorifying God, worshiping him, and all of, pre all of creation was at rest and in paradise, worshiping God by choice. Because God gave Adam one rule. He said, do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He gave it to Adam who then was supposed to relate that to Eve. He gave, it, he gave the rule down the, the order of creation. Because in the garden, there was that tree of life. They could, they could eat of it and experience more fully the life that God has for them, the, the joy and the freedom and the, the, the life that comes with following God. They, there, there was no death. It wasn't a cure for death, but it was a, a tangible way to, to experience a greater joy and greater life that comes from, from knowing God. That same tree, fast-forwarding all the way to the end, that same tree is going to exist uh, in, in our new heaven and new earth. So it's not a cure for death. It was a, it was a tangible way to experience God more. They could have eaten of that tree, but there was also a tree in there called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and God said, don't eat of it. That's my one rule. Don't eat of it. God's desire was to teach Adam and Eve what it means to follow him and the joy that that brings and this one rule, this one tree offered a shortcut to that. <laughs> he said, don't eat of it. And everything in the garden was existing at peace and at rest, glorifying God and praising him, just as it was supposed to be. It was paradise. And then a new character emerges on the scene. That's where we start in Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, Moses writes, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. Now the word crafty there in, in the Old Testament can mean a positive thing or a negative thing. It can mean wise or it can mean shrewd and manipulative. And here it is clearly used in the negative sense. There is a, a crafty, manipulative creature in the garden. And that, that contrasts God's beautiful paradise. Like here is the perfect paradise. Everything's at rest. Everything is glorifying God. And then over here, there's this crafty, manipulative creature. And we don't find this out here in Genesis 3, but we find it out at the end of the Bible in Revelation uh, that this is more than just a serpent. 
this, this is a serpent who is being controlled by Satan, by, by the devil, the enemy of God. Take whatever you want. This is, a, this is more than just a, 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 a viper. This is, a, this is the enemy of God entering the Garden of Eden. And, and finally, Satan makes this entrance onto the, Bible, the biblical stage. Now, I'm not going to go into great detail about Satan's fall from heaven and the fall of demons with him and when that occurred and what that looked like, mainly because the Bible doesn't give us a whole lot of detail. God chooses not to reveal all that to us. I would love to know more about that. I would love to have the, the full story and the full history and know, know every little detail, but, but the Bible is God's revelation of himself and his plan for our redemption. It is not a book about angels. So all that we get is the little snippets that, that, uh, that intersect with God's story for us. And so all we need to know is that at some point, there was paradise, and then Satan and the demons fell from heaven, and now Satan makes his entrance onto the biblical stage, controlling a serpent in the Garden of Eden. And he gets right to work. He says to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? He begins to, to question God. He's saying, Did, did God really say, that, that you would die? Like, did, did God really say that, that you can't eat of it? And, and Eve responds. She says, we may eat of the fruit of the tree of the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. So Satan comes in and he begins to, to twist and manipulate the word of God. There's that craftiness, that, that shrewdness, that manipulation that, that characterizes him. And he comes in and he begins to twist God's word. And, and notice who he's talking to. It's not Adam. Like, notice he didn't, he didn't come into the garden and talk to Adam. He comes into the garden and talks to Eve. Here is a, a creature who's trying to tell the woman who then tries to tell her husband how to live. It is a direct reversal of God's created order. And make no mistake about it, Adam is right there this entire time. And so what we see in verses, the first few verses of Genesis chapter 3 is a, a complete upheaval a, a upheaval, a complete reversal of the order that God created. And instead of man leading his family well and, and man and woman together leading creation well, here is a creature coming up to Eve telling her the, what the human race should be about and then her then directing that to Adam. The direct reversal of God's created order. Everything is upended here. Everything uh, is, is in flux and problematic. And like I said, she responds saying that they can eat the fruit of the tree. She responds well, saying, God has provided for us. Like, you're, you are wrong. He says, when the serpent comes in and says, you can't eat of any of the trees, she says, no, you're wrong. We can. We, God has provided for us all that we could ever want, all that we could ever need. We, we can eat of, the tree, uh, of any of the trees of the garden. We just can't eat of that one. Can't even touch it lest we die. Now, there's that, that little bit of an embellishment there of the rule. And authors and pastors like to make a big deal about that, but I'm not going to. Because it, it, it is a bit of an embellishment there. The rule was not to eat of the tree. It's not, uh, the rule, it, it had nothing to do with them touching it. But we don't know where that embellishment came from. It could have been Eve making it up on the spot. It could have been Adam when he related 
the rule to Eve, he added it there. It could have been an undisclosed conversation that God had. He could have included that. Uh, the, the reason I'm not going to make a big deal out of that little added phrase is because the text doesn't make a big deal out of it. Uh, there's no indication from the text that that little phrase you know, added anything in particular or, or caused them to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So, so Eve responds, and she says, look, we can't eat of that one tree, but God has provided for us. He's provided all the other trees that are in the garden. We just can't eat of this one tree. Uh, we can't even touch it, or we're going to die. And notice what the serpent says in verse 4. He says, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So here we have the, the whole created order upended, and, and, and the whole situation is in flux, and, and that serves as the breeding ground for this doubt that the enemy sows. He says, you're, you're not going to die. Like God says you're going to die when you, when you eat that. You're, you're not going to die. God's just holding out on you. God, you're just missing out. God, listen, listen. God knows that when you eat this, you're going to be like him. Like God knows that when you eat this, you're going to be on, on his level. He doesn't want that for you. Like you are missing out by not eating of this. It's the same old lie that he's told us time and time again. Did, did God really say marriage is between one man and one woman and that sex is to be within a marriage relationship? No, 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 no. Uh, you can sleep with whoever you want, whenever you want. Like that, God is just a stickler who is holding out on you and, and keeping you from expressing the full extent of your sexuality. Like God is just holding out on you. You are better off doing what you think is right. Like, did God really say not to steal? No, no, no. You, you can take the money. It's not that big of a deal. It's not a whole lot of money. And listen, you're going to be better off after you take it anyway. It's the same lie that, that the enemy slips in time and time again. It's to doubt the word of God. It's to doubt God's provision for us. It's to doubt God's commands for us. And he, he slips that in and says, no, no, no. You're going to be better off if you sin. You're going to be better off if you disobey God. God doesn't know what's best for you. You know what's best for you. God doesn't have your best interest in mind. You have your best interest in mind. You can decide what's good and evil. You can decide what's right for you and wrong for you. You can decide what's going to benefit you. Not God. You don't need God for that. It's the same lie that we hear again and again and again in our lives. It's the same lie that we fall for again and again and again in our lives, there's this rebellion against God saying, you don't, you don't need him. You know what's best for you. And the seeds of doubt are planted by the serpent, and they take root in, Gen in verse 6. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. So Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve together, they look at the tree, the, the doubts floating in their mind, wondering, well, is, is the serpent right? 
Is God holding out on us? Or are we really going to be able to be like God? Is that, do we know what's best? Those doubts floating in their mind, they look at the tree and they decide, I think the serpent's right. The tree looks good. The fruit looks great. And, and it really is desirable to, to make me wise. I can be wise if I eat this. And in fact, I think I can be like God. So you look at the tree, and they determine that they know better than God does. And at that moment, they decide that they know better than God, that they know uh, that they are going to benefit by disobeying God here and eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that they're going to come out on top after doing what God said not to do. They decided, we know better than God. And they ate. They disobeyed God and broke his one rule for them. They rebelled against the creator. They're saying, we know better than the God in Genesis chapter 1. Think about it. That's just two chapters ago. The God who spoke all of creation into existence. The God who, who spoke and light was formed. The God who, who was an eternal God who existed perfectly for all of eternity and decided that he was going to create out of a pure manifestation of his power and creativity. That God gave them one rule and they decided they knew better than him. So they ate. And immediately, shame entered into the conversation. Verse 7. The eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Note the word immediately. They, they knew right then, immediately, that they were in the wrong. Shame flooded in. As I said before, that tree of the knowledge of good and evil was there to give Adam and Eve a choice. And in God's design, God's plan was for Adam and Eve to, to grow in their love for him more and more every single day as they chose to follow him. And that they would grow in their understanding of, of his joy and the life that comes with following God. And that more and more each day he would continue to reveal to them the glories of his riches and grace and kindness. That, that that would be their experience more and more every day as they continually chose to follow him. That they would really, truly, fully understand just how good of a decision it is to follow God. That was his plan. And they took a shortcut and immediately understood just how bad of a decision it is not to follow God. Like they, they immediately did understand just how good of a decision it is to follow God, but then realized that they made a terrible mistake. Their eyes were opened and they realized their shame before God. So they did everything they could to try to cover it up. They said they, they sewed fig leaves together to make loincloths. They did everything they could to try to hide their shame before God. When sin entered the picture, man's relationship with God was destroyed. That perfect, beautiful, created order where everything was at rest and man was in a perfect relationship with God was gone. Man's relationship with God was completely and utterly destroyed when Adam and Eve chose to eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Sin completely disrupted man's relationship with God. And we see that in verse 8. They tried to cover it up. They tried to hide their shame. They tried to hide the fact 
that they were sinners and rebels against God. And in verse 8, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Now, this seems like something that he did frequently enough for this to be a, a regular thing. And so they, had, they used to walk with God and commune with God in, in the Garden of Eden. They had a perfect, beautiful relationship with God. And here they hear him coming once again. And they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Clearly, the coverings that they made were not enough to hide their shame. Here they stood before a holy God completely exposed as sinful broken, rebellious people. Verse 9, the Lord God called to the man and, man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Man's relationship with God and that instant was fractured. And where once joy and life and peace existed, now existed pain and shame and wrath. Where once joy existed, now exists anger. Where life once existed, now exists death. God walks in the garden after Adam and Eve ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they are hiding out of the shame of what they've done because they know they were rebels against the Creator God. They were broken, wicked, rebellious people. Not only was their relationship with God destroyed because of sin, but th their relationship with the created order was completely corrupted. Look with me in verse 12. When God says, have you eaten of the tree? He, he's talking, listen, notice who he's talking to. Adam. Because Adam is the one responsible here. Adam is the one who is supposed to lead his family well. And that he and Eve together are supposed to rule over and lead creation well. And so God, when he steps onto the scene, he's talking to Adam. And he says, hey, did you eat of the tree? And Adam says, yes, I did. It's totally my fault. I'm really, like, I, I am a re rebel against you. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no. What does Adam say? He says, that woman you gave me, <laughs> she made me do it. <laughs> like, that, that woman, she's the one. She, it's all her fault. <laughs> he passes it down the created order. So God goes to Eve. I love that God's kind of playing along. <laughs> God's like, all right, fine. Let's go to Eve next. Uh, he says, all right, Eve. What did you do? What have you done? In verse 13. And the woman says, I ate of the tree. It's totally my fault. I'm really sorry. Oh, we are rebels against you. Please forgive us. No. <laughs> she says, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. So she passes it down the created order, and she says, one of those creatures that you made, it's his fault. Like, man's relationship with the created order is completely disrupted and corrupted because of sin. God had designed for mankind, for men to lead their wives well, and, and that together they would rule over creation and lead creation well. And here, all of created order is messed up. Man is passing the buck on to woman. Woman is passing the buck on to creation. And all of it is corrupted. All of it is messed up. 
All of it is going against God's design. And it's no longer bringing glory and praise to God. Man's relationship with God was destroyed. Man's relationship with the created order was corrupted. And that's not the end of it because in, in verse 14 we see that an enemy exists in our world because of sin. Look at verse 14. God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between her, your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Now this whole... Uh, this whole phrase, this whole stanza is, is clearly more than just about the serpent. This is more, it's about more than just the created being of a snake. This is about, uh, specifically about Satan. And there's something more going on here. This is, this is directed towards the one who is controlling the snake, who's the one who, who is the mouthpiece, the one who, who spoke through the snake and, and, and tempted Adam and Eve. And he says, uh, look at the snake. And look at how lowly it is. Look at, the, look at the fact that it is crawling on the ground and it's slithering and eating dust all the days of your life. That is a constant reminder of the fact that there is an enemy in your world. And every time we see a snake, we should, we should be reminded of the thought that there is an enemy at loose in our world today. And they are a lowly enemy who will one day be defeated, but they are a formidable foe nonetheless. That there is an enemy at, just loose in our world today. And that there is enmity, there is strife between that enemy and woman. That there is strife between that, en that enemy and people. Instead of conquering the enemy right then and there and, 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 and turning away his temptation and saying, no, God gave us one rule and we're going to keep it. They chose to rebel against God, and because of their sin, there is an enemy loose in our world today, allowed to not just exist, but to thrive. So God, man's relationship with God was destroyed. Man's relationship with the created order was corrupted. Man's, uh, there's an enemy loose in our world today, and that is not the end of it. Because man's relationship with each other, man's relationship with woman, woman's relationship with man, like our interpersonal relationships were completely corrupted as well. In verse 16, God says to the woman, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. There is there's pain and childbirth now. That was supposed to be a beautiful moment of two co-rulers over creation bringing in another new ruler to rule with them. This beautiful moment of, of bringing in a child into a perfect world, free from sin, free from pain, free from, from anything wrong, this beautiful, perfect reality where everything is at rest. Childbirth was supposed to be a, a beautiful moment, and now it's marked by pain. The obvious physical pain, but also a, a mental and emotional pain that, that you are bringing a child into a world that is not perfect. That they will experience pain. That they will experience suffering. They will battle sin and lose. That there is 
there are problems in this world that those children are going to experience. Like there's, there's a mental pain that comes in childbirth. There's, a, there's a, clearly a joy and, and some leftover remnant of, of satisfaction and, and joy that comes in the beautiful moment of childbirth. But there's also a painful idea that, that we are bringing children into a world that is not perfect and that they will suffer. And on top of that, there is the, the, the physical pain. Childbirth itself is marked by, by great agony. There is pain in bringing children into the world. Man's relationship, even with, with our own children, is corrupted. But man's relationship with each other and our, in, the, in a marriage and outside of a marriage are all corrupted. I think of God's created order. God, men are to lead their families well, and together, man and woman were to be co-rulers. Instead, we see here that woman's desire is to rule over her husband. That there's a, there's a, the idea of ruling is entered into the conversation. And woman's desire is to upend the created order. And man, con, on the flip side, is ruling over, domineering over woman. That there is uh, the idea of ruling and corruption uh, in human relationships enters the picture. Like every relationship problem in the world stems from sin. It can be directly attributed to sin. And that enters the picture here in verse 16, where, where woman's desire is to rule over her husband. Men instead will rule over and domineer woman. That these ruling relationships that were not meant to exist between humans are now on the scene. That this is not a, a leading, this is not a, a, a God's created order, but this is a domineering, leading, corrupt uh, system. So all of our human relationships, our kids, and our, and our, our families, and in, with the world around us are all corrupted because of sin. Adam and Eve chose to sin, and their, their sin, when it entered the picture, uh, destroyed their relationship with God. It corrupted their relationship with the created order. It allowed an enemy to thrive in our world, and it corrupted all of our human relationships. And that's not the end of it, because it corrupted our relationship with the world as well. Verse 17. To Adam, God says, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face. And you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you will return. Like Our relationship with the world, with, with all of creation, has been corrupted. We're no longer people ruling over a perfect planet with that's uh, perfectly at rest, perfect creation in a perfect animal kingdom. We are now people living in and working ground that is cursed, a created order that is experiencing pain and suffering, that the, the devastation and brokenness that we experience in our life is also experienced in the world around us. Because of sin, famine, and drought, and plague exist in our world today. Because of sin, natural disasters of incredible proportion exist in our world today. None of those things would exist without sin. But because of sin, all of creation has been cursed. All of creation has experienced the same brokenness and the same devastation that we've experienced in our own lives. And so our relationship with the whole, with the whole of creation, the whole universe, has, has been corrupted. And now everything dies. 
to dust, from dust we've come and to dust we will go again. Where once life existed, now exists death. And that same fate is shared by the rest of the world. The plants around us, the, the animals around us, even the, 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 the very planet that we exist is dying. All of creation is experiencing the brokenness that sin has caused. We can look around us and see the very thing that we're experiencing in our own life, the fact that we are dying. It's all because of sin. Sin broke and, and destroyed our relationship with God. Sin corrupted our relationship with the created order. Sin allowed the enemy of God to have free reign and roam along the planet. Sin corrupted our relationships with each other, and sin corrupted our relationships with the world, and sin is what is causing us and leading us to die. So you want the main idea of this text? It's that sin is corrupting the world. So stop choosing to engage in it. Sin is what has caused all of the hurt and devastation and pain in the planet. So stop choosing it. Stop making the same mistake that Adam and Eve have made. If sin didn't exist, there would be no pain. There would be no suffering. There would be no death. We would never experience loss. We would never lose a loved one. We would never have a lack of anything that we've ever needed. We would never lack peace. We would never lack Joy, we would never lack satisfaction, but sin has entered the picture, and with it, death, and it has corrupted everything. So stop choosing it. That could be the end of the story. Genesis chapter 3 could have ended in verse 19, and the whole story of the Bible could have stopped there. That we are broken and messed up people, we are corrupted people, and that could have been the end of the story. Because here's the thing. It's easy for me to say, stop sinning. It's easy for me to say, stop choosing to do what Adam and Eve did. But it's harder to actually do. Because Adam and Eve have passed on to every single one of us a natural inclination to sin, a natural desire to rebel against God, the desire to be our own kings, the desire to to rule our own lives, to decide what's right and wrong for us. Adam and Eve have passed that same desire and that same natural inclination onto us, which is why every single one of us are sinners who have fallen short of God's glory. And corrupted people, corrupted things cannot fix the corruption. A corrupted creation and a corrupted creature cannot somehow unwork itself out of the situation and become perfect. We are all corrupted beings and we are stuck in our corruption because all of us are corrupt. So if I say stop sinning, and that's the end of it, that's the end of the story, you'll look around and say, I can't. Like, we are corrupted, broken, messed up people, and that could have been the end of the story, but Genesis chapter 3 continues and ends on a decidedly hopeful note. You look in verse 20. Man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all the living. In a chapter marked by sin, and a chapter marked by rebellion against God, and a chapter marked by the entrance of death 
into the world with all of the corruption that we have seen and all of our corruption and relationships in that chapter, Adam calls his wife Eve because she is the mother of all of the living. God could have wiped out the human race with Adam and Eve. He could have ended it right there. And in fact, he probably should have ended it right there. But he allowed his creation to continue to exist in its broken state. He allowed people to continue to have life, allowed people to continue to, allowed Adam and Eve to continue to have kids and, and all the way down to us today. God is, is doing something and allowing his creation to continue to exist in its broken state. And we see in verse 21 that God actually acts. You look in verse 21. The Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. God himself killed an animal and covered Adam and Eve with its skins. He, he did the one thing for them that they could not do. He covered over their shame. He was acting to restore the relationship. I mean, verses 23 through 24 of this chapter. We see that the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Uh, therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim, and a flaming sword, and turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. God said, I don't want Adam and Eve to eat of the tree of life and live in this state forever. So God decided to shut off access to the Garden of Eden purely out of his love for Adam and Eve because he did not want them to exist in this broken, disrupted, corrupt state for all of eternity. Genesis chapter 3 ends on this extremely hopeful note where God promises and foreshadows the resolution to this tension, the, the, the resolution of this corruption. Where God promises and foreshadows the redemption that is to come because of Jesus. Like There will be one who will ultimately crush the head of the enemy of God and who will destroy him once and for all. And there will be one whose blood will cover over our sin and our shame and restore us in our relationship with God. There will be one who will once again open the gates of the Garden of Eden and allow us to partake of the tree of life for all of eternity. There will be one who will restore and redeem what's been broken. That's further along in the story. We'll get there. Some of you today are really hurting you're experiencing loss. You've, you've lost a loved one. You're, you've lost a job. You're, you're struggling. You see the pain in the world. And it is all too evident that we are not living in a Genesis chapter 1 reality. Like it is all too real for you that we are, we are experiencing pain and sadness and sorrow in our world. Because you're experiencing it today. If that's you, I want you to take comfort this morning. Know that that's only happening because there is sin in this world. Not everything bad that happens to us is directly related to our sin. Sometimes it's just because we live in a sin-stained world. Like anything bad that happens, all that is tragic and sad is occurring because there is sin in this world. But take comfort in the fact that God is working to restore the world. 
that God is working to redeem and restore what has been so corrupted. That God is working in our world to restore it. Take comfort in that fact. The other takeaway that is uh, applicable for every single one of us today is by the grace of God, turn away from your sin. Stop sinning and follow Jesus. By the grace of God, repent from your rebellion against God and turn to Jesus. Stop thinking and acting like sin is not that big of a deal. Stop pretending like you know better for yourself than God does. Sin is what has corrupted and destroyed all of creation, so stop choosing to engage in it. Sin never builds you up. Sin never makes you better. Sin always tears down, and sin always destroys. So stop choosing to engage in it. By the grace of God, follow Jesus. This morning, there may be some, we're about to sing. There may be some of you here this morning you need to take a bold step. You need to hit your knees where you are. You need to hit your knees at these steps, and you need to confess your sin to God. And you need to plead with him to forgive you, to restore you, to redeem you. This morning, you need to hit your knees and confess and repent from your sin and give it all over to the Lord and allow him to save you and rescue you from your sin. That's you this morning when we sing. These steps will be open. Find a spot and do not leave this morning without confessing your sin to God and having him change and do a work in your life to rescue you from it. Some of you this morning have never repented from your sin. You've never in your life given up your sin and said, God, I want to follow you. You've never once acknowledged the fact that you are deeply broken and that your rebellion against God demands justice. You never once said, God, I'm turning away from it and I'm following Jesus. And so if that's you, when we sing this morning, I'm going to be right here. And I want you to take the bold step to come up and talk with me about what it means to follow Jesus. No judgment. No, 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 no dirty looks. No Nothing, nothing going on behind the scenes. We just want to talk to you about what it means to find life and satisfaction in Jesus. So in just a moment, we're going to sing. Every single one of you has a step to take. Let me pray for us as God continues to do a work in our lives. God, we are broken people. We are, we are people who have been impacted by sin. We are people who, whose lives have been touched and marked and identified by sinfulness and brokenness and rebellion against you. God, every single one of us has fallen short of your glory. Every single one of us has fallen short of the perfect standard that you've set for us. Every single one of us has fallen short of your desire for our lives to bring you glory and to bring you praise. God, I pray that this morning that we would repent from our sin. We would recognize the problems that it causes, the, the devastation that it brings, and we would turn away from it and say, God, we don't want to do it again. We want to follow you. And by the grace of Jesus, God, rescue us from our sinfulness and our brokenness. Mold us and shape us into the image of Jesus. 
so that we could be a people who are marked by Christ's likeness, love and joy and peace and satisfaction is found in following you. God, this morning I pray for those here who are dealing with sin, who are, who are, who are struggling with something, who, who can't seem to get over it. God, I pray this morning that you would rescue them, that they would lay it down at your feet and turn to you. God, I pray for those here who have never entered into a relationship with you to begin with. God, I pray today would be the day that they would truly experience what it means to have life and joy. Father, we love you. We praise you. It's in the precious holy name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. The story doesn't end here. The Bible continues. We have 65 and three-quarters books left to go. But some of you are acting like the Bible story ends here and that sin still has an unbreakable control over you. So this morning as we sing, take the step that you need to take. If you need to confess sin to the Lord, kneel where you are, kneel at the steps, confess it to God and allow him to change you from the inside out. And if you need to talk to somebody about what it means to follow Jesus, I'm here. Let's talk. Do what you need to do this morning.